Listening to the Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 209 of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, we're live from the Les Schwab Studios coming up on the Ron and Don Show. Marshawn Lynch and uh, Richard Sherman, they've teamed up. And you're not going to believe what kind of professional sports franchise that they're buying. We're going to talk about that. And also, a lot of pressure on Jeff Bezos because during COVID 19, he has made so much money as the rich seem to get richer. He certainly has. Well, he is now pledging a lot of money to help with affordable housing. Number one, how much housing does it create? How affordable is it? And how much money is he actually... Well, the number might be staggering to me and you, but I don't think this number is staggering to him when you're the world's richest man. Some people think it's just pennies on the dollar, so we'll talk about that. We're talking about that, all that stuff, though. Let's talk about this. This is kind of interesting. This is a question that came in uh, to CNN Money. And Ron, there was a guy who said that his wife went out online and found a half-brother through Ancestry.com, which a lot of people do now, right? As you get older, you're kind of sitting around. You're saying, I can't sit around and watch cable news anymore because when you watch cable news, next thing you know, you're having a coup in America. We don't have time for that. So I'm going to go out and study my ancestry. Have you ever done that? Have you yeah, ever studied? I've done the DNA test. Yeah. Anyway, his wife went out, found a half-brother through Ancestry.com, and now he's wondering... Are we morally or ethically obligated to actually share, to share her father's estate? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, this one hits a little close to home because I'm adopted and I found my my birth mother. Um, she passed away a couple years ago now. Um, we're going on two years ago now. And so it's like, okay, am I entitled now to her estate because I was her firstborn child? Or do my sisters that are, you know, with a, they have a different father than I do, are they entitled to her estate? And so I've, I've thought about this, this yeah, exact okay. scenario. Yeah. And so I think ethically, to me, the answer is no. If you are an unknown uh, child and they, they think, think that this person, that it was a GI, he was getting ready to go out to World War II and he had a little... Uh, going away fling. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. Hey, you know what? Patriotic thing to do. I wow. think if you're going away to war and you don't know if you're going to live or die. So maybe didn't come back. So uh, patriotic for him, patriotic for her. He didn't, he goes off to war. She gets pregnant and just had the baby and raised the baby and never really tracked down the guy. Or they say she didn't know if she, they don't know if she knew exactly how to, how to find him mm. after he went off to war. So in that instance, I don't think you're, you're ethically. Hang on. All you do, if it's 1944, you just go to ancestry.com. What exactly. Are you, what are you talking about? Uh, I don't think ethically that, that he is entitled to say, Hey, I, I want a cut of the estate. I think morally, once you find him, if you connect with him and, um, you know, it's a decent human being and everything seems on the up and up, I think you can, it's at the discretion of the, of the family. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I don't think you can demand it. Well, let, let me, let me ask you this. 
let's say that your mom and dad had an estate and let's say it's worth $5 million. Talking about the mom and dad I grew up with? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bob and Alice. And then Bob and Alice turned 150 years old because they're still going to live a long time. And then uh, they decide to leave God's green earth together. They're no longer with us. And they have an estate. And instead of sharing this estate with you and your sister and your brother, they decide we're going to write a check and $4 million is going to go to our church. And another million dollars is going to go to your older brother because we feel like he needs it. Ron, you have everything you need. Leslie, you have everything you need. And I'm just making this stuff up. Uh, so we're not, we're, we're not going to give you anything. But because we feel like your older brother uh, might need this, because uh, let's say he has 10 foster kids he's taking care of or 10 foster kittens or whatever it is, we're going to give him the money and the church the money. Uh, you guys are on your own. What, what, what would your response be to that? I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be, um, I would be like, okay. Would you be mad? No, like that is not, I don't come from the mindset that that is my money in any way. Like that, that's their life's work. And that's, um, you know, they can do whatever they want with that. Yeah. And so like, I think I'm in the minority on that. I think that there most families believe that they are entitled to that, or there's some sort of competition. I just, I just don't, I don't believe in that. Like I've, I've worked, um, I, my mindset in my adult life has been, I need to take care of me, set up whatever my situation is going to be for my life. And, um, I'm not dependent or looking for, someone to help me out or bail me yeah. out. Like in my family, when my little sister was sick, my mom gave her money and she gave money and it was actually money that, 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 well, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but my mom was able to help her and help her family. And I wasn't standing there going, come on, if, if you're going to give this money to my baby sister, then, then where's my split on this? Right. Cause here she is dying of ALS. And I thought the fact that my mom was in a position where she could help a little bit was fantastic. And my mom just kind of helps in the family when she feels like she wants to help in the family. For me, I've never taken from my mom. I've borrowed before and paid her back. Uh, but I know if I needed money and I asked my mom and she had it, I needed $200 after Hurricane Katrina. I didn't have any cash. And my mom sent me a check for $200. But I paid her back uh, those $200. I didn't have to. But I just felt more morally obligated to do so because like you, I feel like my mom worked so hard her whole life uh, that I want her to have a great life. I think she's going to live much, much longer. And I think she needs to have all that cash on hand. Okay, so let's and say- you, And you and I have both talked about this just away from the microphones. And, and, and we both hope that our parents just- that they burn through all that money before they leave God's green earth because we we just we just want them to have have great lives. I, I know Let's other, I know, other a- I know other people though that have a real expectation that their parents they feel like their parents own this money and own this estate. So what, how would you feel if a half sibling popped up and said, "Hey, we're I figured out we're we're half siblings." Yeah, you know, like in like in my that that. I am money has never been a motivator for me. Money has never, you know, that it's, it's not a motivator. It's not a driver. I try to share. Would free, you consider freely. that person a family member or just 
Wow, we're we're just genetically related. No, I have four other brothers. My dad, my dad had four other children besides the four children with my mom, and those boys received my father's estate, whatever was left of his estate when he passed away. I didn't receive anything, and I don't have a problem with that. I I I didn't know. This is what I think probably happened with my dad. I think he got it wrong with my mom, and I think he got it wrong with the four kids. And I and I'm hoping because it seems like the four boys that he had afterwards, because uh, some of them have reached out on Facebook and said, "Hey, was this your father?" And 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 I guess they discovered me through uh, Facebook.com. So in, in having these conversations with them, they ha- they have real good things to say about him. They have really positive things to say, uh, and I support that. So I don't, I don't go in there and go, "Well, you should have seen what he did to me and when I was a kid." I don't, I don't do any of that. I support the fact that they and they're much they're they're much younger than I am. Yeah. So if they got everything, you're just kind of like they did All get right. they did get everything. Whatever everything was, they got it. I didn't get it. Okay, yeah. So and 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 I'm absolutely fine with that. I I I want to make it on my own. Uh, I don't want to spend somebody else's money. And if I don't have it, uh, then the fun and the challenge is going seeing if you can make it and if you can figure it out. I've I've never. I don't think I've ever taken a government check before, uh, and there's times when I certainly needed it. I think after Katrina, you and I tried to get some government money. We couldn't get any because uh, we had made too much money in our radio jobs. And what happened is I had given out, because it was hard to get cash, because all the ATMs and everything were destroyed. Banks weren't open. And this this went on, you know, all there was no power. There was no get. You had to have cash, and you had to have cash for months. And so I would give cash to my friends so that they would have cash. And and I thought the the ATM machines would start working in a week or something, and they never did. And so here I am, and I'm cash poor, and now I'm having to ask my mom to send me uh, two hundred dollars in cash because I didn't have cash. So, uh, but I think I don't know. I I I don't I don't I I think it's good uh, to live paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes I think it's good to live hand to mouth. I think it's good. Like my son was hungry the other day. And I said, well, you know what we're going to do? Then we're just going to be hungry for a little bit. And we're going to see what that feeling is like when your belly is hungry. Because it motivates you, right? And you understand hunger. And it also gives you sympathy for other places in the world where people are hungry too. So anyway, he's Ron. I'm Don. We'll see you on the other side of this. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. Started out right away with Don helping us look at the options. Like, here are different ways you can approach the sale of this house. I bought and sold a lot of real estate over my life. Don's listening skills were um, superior. Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide, their services... Were, it just made it easy. It was a laydown. And so we put it on the market on Saturday. There was a lot of interest. They made an offer on the on the offer date for over asking price. We did amazing. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had several suggestions on you know, when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market. I, I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. We all celebrated. It felt like a team victory. <laughs> we were all just jumping 
up and down. They were passionate and they, they were just honest and straightforward and uh, no, everything's great. Uh, yeah, I definitely would recommend it. We had multiple offers, $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to my dad's podcast. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on ronanddonradio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. And you just heard a bunch of our clients. Uh, we would love to have an opportunity to represent you too, to be your chief negotiator. In order to do that, we have to sit down together. So just go to ronanddonsitdown.com. And also, if you want one of the playbooks, a buyer book or a seller book, how do you get it? Yeah, just email me directly, ron at windermere.com. Uh, we have one for buyers, one for sellers. I'll send it out to you right away, and then we can set up that Ron and Don sit down. Yeah, we wrote these books just for you guys. So even if you don't do a deal with us, if you're going through a deal right now and you like one of these books, we'll be happy to send it to you. And also, so thankful for all the referrals out there too. Uh, my friend Dave said, hey, I'm not buying or selling a house. Uh, but I know my friend Evan is, and we went out and met Evan the other day and had a ball doing a Rondon sit-down at his house on the east side. It was really, really cool. So we'd love to come visit you too. Rondondonsitdown.com to find out more. And again, reach out to Ron, ron at windermere.com, and we'll send you one of these ebooks so you can start doing your homework. Put a team together. Uh, you need one of these playbooks, though, to kind of get started. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, uh, buying into a uh, football franchise. We'll talk about that. Before we talk about that, let's talk about Jeff Bezos. A real expectation that Amazon has created this incredible footprint here in the Northwest. And where they've created this incredible footprint is where a lot of homeless people used to live. If you're not familiar with the downtown core in South Lake Union, before that became Amazon and Google, uh, it was a lot of abandoned homes. Uh, there were parks down there that people slept in. Uh, in a lot of these abandoned homes, one of the reasons we have so many tents is because all those abandoned homes are gone. And now people are literally living under the interstate. A lot of pressure on him and to do something in the community. And so a year ago, they had a building that they were tearing down that they were waiting to permit. And he said, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll do Mary's Place is looking for a place, and they help women and families. And they said, we'll let them have it for a year, and then they're going to go ahead and tear the building down. And Because it takes about a year to get a permit here in the city of Seattle. And that didn't look good for Amazon. They started really getting some heat. And he said, you know what? We'll go ahead, and we'll just create a building. We'll call it Mary's Place, and that'll be their place forever and ever and ever. Still more heat, though, because it's like, hey, you created a lot of homelessness here in Seattle. There's a lot of people sleeping in parks right now because of you. That's at least what people feel like. He said, okay, I'm about to write a check. For $2 billion, and I'm going to create 20,000 places and spaces for people to live. Not, not here. He's, he's, he's creating a $2 billion endowment that is going to be spread across three or four different municipalities. And um, this is part of the thing that always gets me. Um, the city does this. Jeff Bezos does this. I don't know if there's a tax reason for it or if it's a philosophical reason or a liability reason. If lawyers get in the way, they typically take this money and they provide um, low interest loans or they'll create a program that will assist people that are below a certain income threshold. 
instead of just going and building housing, like city of Seattle does this all the time. I've talked about it for years. It drives me crazy. The largest landholder of vacant land that's developable right now is the city of Seattle in the city of Seattle. And yet they refuse to build buildings on their own land. They would rather do a credit swap, uh, hey, you're building this uh, luxury condo building and 10% needs to be low income. And if you don't want to do 10%, you can take this money and put it over here. And then we're going to do the thing with the deal. And we'll give out a voucher. And we'll do- it's just build housing, take a vacant lot, take the money, <laughs> build the housing. Like it drives me crazy. And so Jeff Bezos, when you boil it all down and you start reading through the fine print, there's going to be 470 housing units developed in Bellevue. That's what this means for us. And that just doesn't sound like a lot of housing. Um, and in other countries, like if, if you're in China and you worked for a company like an Amazon um, and you were like a warehouse worker, you would have access to housing. It's not going to be fancy. You're going to live in like a dormitory style housing, but you could live there get on your feet, maybe save a little money, uh, and then go out with your family and possibly buy a place, but you would have, it would be available to you, um, uh, some sort of housing to where you could work at this warehouse or this factory. Uh, that model is not going to work in the United States. We're not going to have 300 people live in a dormitory, but I'm just saying there are, there are other models around the world for this. I think if you're Amazon, why would you not just go build, build something significant? Well, I think I, I, here, here's the concern. When you look at all the ghettos, because that's what they did in the New Deal, uh, is they built housing, a version of Section 8 housing. And they put the same type of people that were in the same type of plight in the same type of areas and left them and forgot them. And as a result of that, they didn't fund the schools. They didn't fund education. It was out of sight, out of mind. Uh, the crime rate started to soar. Ask Jay-Z, where he grew up, he couldn't get a job. So your job was to go out and sell crack, which is what he did. And he said he got pretty good at it. He said there were no jobs. There just were no jobs. And he was surrounded by other young men that had the same plight. So one of the reasons why they try to do this share housing, and they say, look, they, they say to builders, hey, look, if you're going to make a fourplex in Ballard, three of those units, you can go ahead and sell and make money. And then that last unit really needs to be some type of Section 8 housing. Because what we want to do is we want to blend the neighborhood and we want somebody that may not have the opportunity to live in Ballard and go to Ballard High School. We want them, that family, to have an opportunity because maybe that's a black and a brown family, or maybe that's an immigrant that's just moved here. We want to give them the opportunity to be able to go to Ballard. We want to give them an opportunity to live in a neighborhood where people take care of the parks, people take care of the schools, where there's actually a grocery store where you can go and buy groceries. So that's kind of the thought of, of spreading out the housing footprint. But what you have found is most of the builders out there, they can pay their way out of it, Right. They can pay their way out of it. And so what they do, instead of building that fourth unit, because then they feel like, hey, it becomes harder to sell the other three. If the three units know in that fourth unit, there's going to be some type of Section 8 housing. What we're going to do is we're just going to pay the penalty, pay our way out of this. We'll give our money to the city. We'll let the city figure it out. And what the city doesn't want to do, they don't want to manage this housing. Uh, They don't want to have 
a situation. You look at some of the Section 8 housing that was torn down in White Center. That was the issue there is, again, it was housing that was out of sight. It was out of mind. People weren't cared for. Uh, they didn't have the services they need. Uh, there were handouts, but not hand-ups. And uh, the education system was not good. You and I saw this when we lived in New Orleans. Do you so. think that Jeff Bezos has an obligation because he has created a company that became the, the richest in the world to do more? Well, I think he does here specifically in Seattle because of what I said. He displaced a lot of homeless people and a lot of poor people in where they decided they were going to shoehorn Amazon. And I don't even think he's aware of that because I don't think he spends much time here in Seattle. I think he's down with his girlfriend in California. I think Amazon may be here, but I think don't think Jeff Bezos is here much. And the thing that's interesting, a lot of these guys that make so much money, as they get older, they start trying to figure out, what am I going to do with this money? That's not Jeff Bezos. Uh, $2 million really is pennies on the dollar. He probably made $2 billion just this afternoon, right, in one of his accounts. And so I think this really is... All of them want to go to space at that point. Yeah, yeah. I make a rocket company, SpaceX. Yeah. Build me a rocket. Yeah. So so anyway, I think this is him. It, it's grabbing some headlines. And when people see $2 billion in 20,000 homes, that seems like a big deal. But then when you start pulling the cake apart before it's baked and looking at the ingredients, you're like, wow, uh, that's not much here in the city of Seattle. And then I also wonder... You well, know, city so, of Bellevue, well, winking and Well, nod. that's what I wonder. So many people have moved here. When you go into the parks and you talk to people, so many people moved here because of the services uh, and because of the open-air drug markets, to be honest with you, and because you can do heroin freely and the safe injection sites that we talked about. Uh, the police look the other way. They're not going to rest their way out of this and, and so on and so forth. Bellevue is some pretty expensive real estate, you guys, and so is Seattle. So why wouldn't you take this money and go build something in a place where you can leverage that and create more housing overall, right? In different places and spaces. I even look in Tacoma. There's some really cool areas of Tacoma. And there's also some really great opportunities to build some really cool housing there. Um, and, and we're beginning to see that. I think we need to see more of that. And in places like Everett and Linwood too. Those are great cities, great places, great municipalities, uh, and great spaces and places for our kids to grow up. So anyway, hey, don't go anywhere. Coming up here, I think it's really interesting. Uh, Richard Sherman, Marshawn Lynch, teammates again. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Today's show is made possible by your friends, Ron and Don, licensed realtors with Windermere Midtown. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, before we get out of here, let's talk about Richard Sherman. Let's talk about Marshawn Lynch. And let's talk about the fact that they're going to try to do what everybody else has tried to do, including Donald Trump. They're going to try to introduce us to another football league. This is why Marshawn Lynch is retired and why uh, Richard Sherman is still putting on a uniform for the San Francisco 49. This one is different, though, than than the other ones that I've done. So XFL that you sort of allege or referenced uh, basically tried to do exactly this. It tried to be like an NFL but just on a smaller scale and you, you would play 12 on 12 football or 11 on 11 football, uh, in a stadium, same rule. Sometimes you do a little tweak here or there. This league is seven on seven and they're wanting to do it on Twitch, which is a video streaming service, 
that um, is wildly popular with gamers and um, hundreds of millions of, of people, you know, go through Twitch that are typically much younger and it's very interactive. You can, you know, do all kinds of stuff with money and with questions and with commentary and all of these different things. And so I actually think this is an interesting experiment. Uh, they've tried to recruit Johnny Manziel, who's been uh, trouble, won the Heisman Trophy in college, uh, was a troubled quarterback with uh, Cleveland Browns and is out of the league now. And he's sort of bounced around to some different things. But uh, Marshawn Lynch's team is going to be called the Beasts. As a la beast mode, Richard Sherman's a part of that. Um, I think that, you know, arena football did a similar thing. They tried to do a 50 yard indoor war sort of deal, very high scoring, a lot of action, uh, a lot of, um, fast paced. It was more, you know, open. The offense was super open. He would, that's where Kurt Warner came out of that league and then ascended to become a Super Bowl MVP. Um, I think it's interesting. I think you could try to capture younger kids in a game on a format that they're used to. Um, you know, you, kids your son's age, they don't know network TV. They, they don't, they don't know that. But if you say, Hey, Twitch, yeah, I know Twitch. Uh, you could give them a Twitch. Do you want it the Twitch channel of the beasts? Sure. And they could get on there and watch a live stream of the game. I think it's interesting. I think it's going to cost them a t- tremendous amount of money. And there are a lot of athletes that you could sort of know. There's a three on three basketball league that did this uh, with like Ice Cube and yeah, some and, other they, guys. and they say the fans will have some skin in the game. In other words, they'll be able. I don't know if they can control the players, but uh, they'll be able to somehow participate and, and be part of the game, which I think is really interesting too. Our old program director who lived in New Orleans, uh, he lost his job as a program director down there, and now he. He he helps lead one of these worldwide. Have you? I, I don't know if you've seen him online, but he'll go to China, for instance, and they'll fill arena with twenty thousand kids that are in there playing video games. We filled an arena in Seattle for, for a week in a row of of uh, fifteen thousand kids playing video games. Yeah, so 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 he's a big part of that, and I think probably uh, Richard Sherman. And Beast Mode probably looked at what SIG is doing with that particular league and said, hey, maybe we can do a variation of that, but let's see if we can include the game that we love, the game of football. This brings me back to this point, though, which saddens me a little bit. You see you see Russell Wilson trying to be an owner. And a lot of times, I don't know, Russell Wilson doesn't own 90% of the Sounders. He probably owns a small percentage. And it's good for the Sounders to have Russell and Sierra there at the game and they have their jerseys on and they wave and the fans love it. It's good for the Sounders. It's good for the city. And, of course, I think it's good for Russell and Sierra. I wish the NFL would do that more. I wish they would would provide avenues for former players and even players that have a lot of money in their pocket or even superstars like Jay-Z that would love to own a team. And he's been trying to own a team for years we see that happen in the National Basketball uh, League a little bit, but like even Michael Jordan couldn't get a piece of the Chicago Bulls or a piece of the Lakers. Uh, he had to go and be a piece of Charlotte, right? And that ended up being a piece of ha. You look at Magic Johnson; he was able to buy uh, part of the Lakers, but it's very, very part un- of the Dodgers. Or, yeah, but it's very, very unusual uh, that we see that. And I would love to see we see that in baseball a little bit. I would love to see that for former NFL players. But there's only 32 teams. 31 of those teams are controlled by families and white owners. And the 32nd team is controlled by a gentleman that's Middle Eastern. Other than that, we don't see any black owners. 
even if they're minority owners, I would love to see more of that in the National Football League because if it wasn't for these guys in this workforce, uh, these 31 prominent white families, uh, who many of them, at least 17 of them, has become billionaires as a result of being in the National Football League. Jerry Jones, for instance, wasn't a billionaire. He became a billionaire when he took his gas and oil money and went out and he bought the Cowboys. And now as a result of that, you don't see him rolling around and saying, hey, I want to make Emmett Smith part of the franchise. He should. That would be a great legacy move. But none of these guys will do it. So no, they won't. Me. And yeah. uh, I, I'm 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 constantly or consistently impressed with and surprised by Marshawn Lynch. I think he knows how to reinvent himself. He's a lot more savvy than I think people give him credit for. And um, I, I always hear people giving him credit. I, I don't hear them not giving him credit. Really? Yeah. What you say all the time. I. I, have you ever heard people not give Marshawn Lynch credit? I, I, I hear think them. people, some people do with a wink and a nod. I, I think oh. it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Beast Mode clothing line seemed to do pretty well. Uh, I don't know about Richard Sherman's outside ventures, but he's clearly a very intelligent guy. Went to Stanford, uh, you know, and, and, and I think. Here we are saying black people are intelligent, though. That's where we got because we don't say that about white people. So-and-so, he went to no, Stanford. No, I'd say that. John Elway was very intelligent. He went to Stanford. We never said. I don't think I would. Jim Plunkett. Anyway, I don't know. I think. Anyway. <sighs> Hey, you guys. Thanks for stopping by the Ron and Don Show. We so much appreciate you. And don't forget, Ron, if people want to get one of our playbooks, uh, how can they do it? Yeah, just email me directly, ron at windermere.com. Yeah, all right. Keep your head up, your shoulders back. If you need to get in touch with us, you can also go to ronandonsitdown.com, and we will sit down with you. Thanks for stopping by for episode number 209. Here's my son to take us out. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs>